0: Lesson 1 for March 30 through to April 5, ready for teaching on Sabbath, April 6, read by Dr. Percy Harold, The Rhythms of Life. But before we start, the authors of this whole quarter series of lessons are Claudio and Pamela Consuegra, who are the Family Life Ministry Directors for the North American Division. Here they read the introduction.
1: Seasons of Life. The sixth day of creation had come to an end. During the first five days, the world had been transformed from chaos into a thing of perfect beauty. Darkness was replaced by light. The waters were pushed back as God commanded them, This far you may come, but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop. Job thirty-eight eleven.
2: The dry land sprouted into a canvas of colors and fragrances. Birds of all kinds and varieties flew about, while fish and sea mammals swam and splashed in their aquatic home. Land animals of all types and species ran, jumped, or hung from tree limbs, depending on how the Creator had created them. Then finally, humans were made in God's own image, unique beings in all the earthly creation.
1: As God prepared for the first seventh day Sabbath on Earth, He looked on creation and declared it all very good. Genesis
2: If only that were the end of the story. A perfect world with perfect people existing forever. Just think, Adam and Eve have many children and then grandchildren and great-grandchildren whom they watch grow for an endless number of generations, each one bringing even more joy to the first couple and to God as well. It's a scenario that we, existing in and knowing only, a fallen world can barely imagine
1: and that's because our imaginations have been formed in a world radically different from the one god first created how different are the two worlds the world before sin and the world after
2: here's one example as adam and eve wrote ellen white witnessed in drooping flower and falling leaf the first signs of decay Adam and his companion mourned more deeply than men now mourn over their dead. The death of the frail, delicate flowers was indeed a cause of sorrow. But when the godly trees cast off their leaves, the scene brought vividly to mind the stern fact that death is the portion of every living thing. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 62.
1: We don't have that reaction to a falling leaf because having lived only in a world of sin... We have come to take death and suffering as inevitable parts of the cycles of life.
2: And that's what this quarter's lesson is all about, the cycles of life, at least for us now, in this fallen world. And we're going to look at these cycles in the one place that most of us cycle through them, and that is within the framework of family.
1: Humans were created in Eden in the context of family, first a husband and wife, and then children who had more children, and thus we have the history of our world even to the present day. Indeed, many of the earliest Bible stories, from Adam and Eve to the patriarchs, the Davidic dynasty, all unfolded within the context of family and family relationships.
2: All through the Bible, in one way or another, families help form the framework of events that unfold which isn't surprising because, again, as we cycle through these seasons of life, we too do so to one degree or another against the backdrop of family.
1: Despite all the forces working against the family, both today and in the past, for instance, the practice of polygamy in biblical times hardly added to family stability, and despite attempts to redefine exactly what a family is, the concept of a family endures, and it should.
2: It's where we get started, and it's often the greatest force for good or evil in shaping our lives and how we respond to challenges we face as we cycle through these stages of life.
1: And just as each individual is different, each family is as well. Hence, this quarter's lessons point to principles based on Scripture that, it's our hope and prayer, can help make for stronger families at every stage of life.
0: Sabbath afternoon, March 30. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word again for this whole new quarter on relationships, on times of life, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here to guide us. We know that your word doesn't just talk about salvation or history or prophecy, but it talks about what our lives can and should be like. And as we open your word this week, we pray that it may be a blessing to each of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Let's read that again. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven some of the most beautiful poetry ever penned came from king solomon to everything there is a season a time for every purpose under heaven a time to be born a time to die a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted a time to kill and a time to heal a time to break down and a time to build up a time to weep and a time to laugh of Peace, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Those words capture so much of human existence, the seasons, the rhythms of our lives. Yes, our lives go through stages, through changes, and they do so from the moment we are born. Sometimes the changes are good, sometimes not. Sometimes we have control over them, sometimes not. This week, Let's look at the seasons and rhythms of our lives, especially as they impact us and our families too. Sunday, March 31. In the beginning. The Bible begins at the beginning, which is no doubt why it begins with the words, actually one word in the Hebrew, in the beginning, in Genesis 1 verse 1. The particular focus of the chapter, of course, is the transformation of the earth from a state of being without form, and void in genesis chapter 1 verse 2 to a world that god himself on the sixth day declared very good in chapter 1 verse 31 in short the beginning here is the beginning of our world question read genesis 1 the whole chapter though so much is going on ask yourself the question Is there any hint of randomness or chance, or is everything done in a very orderly manner, with everything in its proper time and place? What does your answer say about the character of God? Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters— He called Seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed after its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind." and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God said, Let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures, and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded, according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Ellen White wrote that order is heaven's first law in the Signs of the Times, June eighth, nineteen 1908. Apparently it is on earth as well. Though sin has disrupted the natural world, to some degree order, rhythm and regularity still exist. Question, read Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22. How is order seen here as well? Genesis 8 verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Even after the fall, the seasons come and go in an orderly fashion generally. Hence, along with the lights in the sky, that is, the sun and the moon, which are to divide the day from the night for signs and seasons and for days and years, as it said in Genesis one 14, there are the seasons as well, all part of the natural rhythm of the world that God has created. And though we get only glimpses now, a verse such as Isaiah 66.23 implies that in the new heavens and new earth the sense of rhythm will indeed exist then too isaiah 66:23 reads and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one sabbath to another all flesh shall come to worship before me says the lord and so to finish the day think about how the sabbath in a powerful regular way impacts your life especially your family life whatever it is What are the distinct advantages, not just of the Sabbath, but in the fact that it does come with such regularity? April 1. The Rhythms of Life Scientists talk about something called circadian rhythms, the idea that there are biological rhythms, sometimes called body clocks, that regulate function in our bodies. In other words, a certain degree of regularity exists even within our bodies themselves. Hence, to some degree, rhythms exist all around and even in us. Question What are the predictable seasons of life mentioned in the following passages of Scripture? And how do they directly tie into family life? First of all, Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse two: A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. Genesis twenty-one, verse eight. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. Judges thirteen, twenty-four. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And Psalm 71 verse 5, For you are my hope, O Lord God, you are my trust from my youth. Proverbs 5 verse 18, Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Genesis fifteen fifteen. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and shall be buried at a good old age. Judges eight verse thirty two. Now Gideon the son of Joash died at a good old age, and was buried in the tomb of Joash his father in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. And Psalm 90, verse 10, the days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength they are eighty years, yet their boast is only labour and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Between the two bookends of life, birth, and death, we all go through a variety of seasons, different for each individual. Some children don't live long after their birth. Others grow into adults who live to a ripe old age. Children grow and develop at their own rate. Some walk or talk sooner than others. Some will be able to attend school and grow up to be professionals, while others will devote their time to other forms of work. Some will have families, and others may never marry or have children. There are billions of people on earth, and though we all have much in common, each of us is an individual, and thus differences would exist in each one of our lives. We are told to look at Acts 17.26, and he was made from one blood, every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. In a sense, too, these differences are important because they make each one of us unique, which means each one of us has something to share that others don't have. In short, our differences allow us to be a blessing to others. For instance, both young and old can benefit from what each offers the other. The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendour of old men is their grey head. It says in Proverbs 20, verse 29. Whatever stage we are in, and no matter our differences, we all have something to offer, not just to the Lord, but to each other as well. And so, to finish today, whatever your life circumstances happen to be right now, what can you do to be a blessing to someone else? Why not make a conscious effort to be that blessing, especially to someone in your family? Tuesday, April 2. The Unexpected. Question. Read Job chapter 1, verses 13 to 19 and chapter 2, verses 7 to 9. What happened to Job? In what ways does his experience reflect what happens to everyone in one way or another or at one time or another? Job 1, beginning at verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job, and said, The oxen were ploughing and the donkeys feeding beside them, when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Job 2, beginning at verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with a painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. The Greek philosopher Heraclitus declared that there is nothing permanent except change. Just when it seems that everything is going fine, the unexpected happens. It may be the loss of a job or a limb, an illness that sends us to bed or to an early death, a house fire, a car accident, a fall while walking the family pet. Of course, not all changes have to be negative. Maybe a promotion at work leads to better economic conditions. Or perhaps you meet someone who will become your spouse, a change that many would welcome. Either way, we can be going along even in a routine, a rhythm when instantly and unexpectedly it's all disrupted. Job was certainly not expecting the new season in his life. The Bible describes him as a man who was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil, Job 1 verse 1. Also, we know that he was married had seven sons and three daughters, and was very wealthy, as we read in Job 1, verses 2 and 3. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, five hundred female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. By the time we reach the middle of the book, He has suffered at least six major losses, his property, his labour force, his children, his health, the support of his wife, and the encouragement of his friends. His world has been turned upside down and his family life devastated. Though what happened to Job was quite extreme, who among us hasn't experienced the unexpected in a very negative way too? Life can be going along just fine when suddenly and without warning everything completely changes and our lives and our family's lives might never be the same again. This is nothing new. Abel probably didn't expect to be murdered and Joseph didn't exactly expect to be sold into slavery in Egypt. In both stories, family members were the betrayers, and in both stories, the families were greatly impacted by what happened to the other members. Scripture is full of examples of people whose lives and families were greatly transformed by the unexpected. And so to finish today, how has your faith helped you amid the trials that unexpectedly interrupted the rhythms of your life? Wednesday, April 3, Transitions. The fact is that human beings are often creatures of habit, and we do indeed get set in our ways, and the older we get, the harder it is to change those ways. Indeed, we don't change easily. How many wives have complained over the years, I've tried to change my husband, but... However... God is in the business of changing us, if not so much our personalities, certainly our characters. That's so much of what the plan of salvation is about, God making us into new people in Him. Question. What great change happened to Saul of Tarsus, and how did it happen? Acts 8 verse 1. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And verse 3, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And Acts 9 verses 1 to 22, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that, if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and heard a voice saying to him, "'Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?' And he said, "'Who are you, Lord?' Then the Lord said, "'I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads.' So he, trembling and astonished, said, "'Lord, what do you want me to do?' Then the Lord said to him, "'Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do.' And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem! And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, "'Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, "'has sent me, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit.' Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So, when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus.' Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem, and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ, and Galatians 1, verses 15 to 17. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Ellen White writes in the Acts of the Apostles, page 119 and 120, As Saul yielded himself fully to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, he saw the mistakes of his life and recognised the far-reaching claims of the law of God. He who had been a proud Pharisee, confident that he was justified by his good works, now bowed before God with the humility and simplicity of a little child, confessing his own unworthiness and pleading the merits of a crucified and risen Saviour. Saul longed to come into full harmony and communion with the Father and the Son, and, in the intensity of his desire for pardon and acceptance, he offered up fervent supplications. The prayers of the penitent Pharisee were not in vain. The inmost thoughts and emotions of his heart were transformed by divine grace, and his nobler faculties were brought into harmony with the eternal purposes of God." Christ and his righteousness became to Saul more than the whole world, end of quote. Even if our own conversion stories are nowhere near as dramatic as Saul's, we should all have our story, an experience of how the Lord has worked in our lives to change us, to make us into the kind of people we know we should be yes the process can be long and at times it's easy to wonder if we're ever going to change at times like these two bible texts are so crucial to meditate on and to claim for oneself so to finish the day read philippians 1 verse 6 and romans 8 verse 1 what two great promises are found in these texts and how do they fit together in the experience of a Christian. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Thursday, April 4, Interactions The Bible is a book of relationships. God created us to be in relationship with others. Indeed, very few of us live in complete isolation. For starters, none of us could even come into existence but for others. Even after birth, we need others to take care of us, at least until a certain age when, in principle at least, we could exist on our own. And even if we could, who would want to? Most of us need and crave the company and companionship of other human beings. Though pets, such as dogs, can be delightful companions, in the end, the deepest and most meaningful and life-changing interactions come through other people. No wonder, then, that the family and family relationships are so crucial to our existence. Because most of us do interact, often all the time, with others, these interactions can and often do impact the changes and rhythms of our lives. They work two ways, though. Others, in their interactions with us, impact our lives. We, meanwhile, in our interactions with others, can impact their lives. And whether we realise it or not, and many times we don't, those interactions, in either direction, can be either for good or or for evil. How crucial then for us to be proactive at all times so that our inevitable influence on others is always for the good, especially on those with whom we are closest, which are usually our own family members question, read the following texts. What do they tell us to do in our interactions with others? Romans 15 verse 7, therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And Ephesians 4 verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. And ephesians four verse thirty two and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you, and first thessalonians three twelve and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, and James 5, verse 16, Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In many ways the principle is simple. If we act nicely, kindly, and compassionately toward others— we will be a positive influence upon them, even to the point where we could change their lives in a very positive manner. Just as Jesus changes people's lives in a very positive manner, what a privilege for us to do something similar for others as well. Again, we must remember our influence is going to be either for good or for evil, even in subtle ways. And nowhere is this influence subtle or not more pronounced than in our families. And so to finish the day, look at the two following statements of Jesus: Luke eleven thirty-four and Mark four twenty-four and twenty-five. What are they saying about the importance of how we interact with others? Luke eleven verse thirty-four: the lamp of the body is the eye, and therefore. When your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. And Mark 4, verses 24 and 25. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. From him Friday, April five. Imagine the changes that occurred in the life of Christ's disciples as they spent time with him. They were mostly uneducated, simple people, accustomed to the teachings and traditions of their Jewish faith. But now they were challenged by the Galilean rabbi. They experienced jealousy, as we read in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20-24. to 24. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Do you not know what you ask? Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, We are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. And conflict in John chapter 3, verse. uh, 25. Then there arose a dispute among some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. They seemed to lack faith, as we read in Mark 9, 28 and 29. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but but prayer and fasting. And they even abandoned, as we read in Matthew 26 and verse 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And they betrayed Jesus, as we read in Matthew 26, 69 to 74. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. At the same time, they were growing spiritually so that people recognized Peter had been with Jesus, as we just read in verse 73. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. And even the members of the Sanhedrin marvelled when they perceived that Peter and John were uneducated and untrained men. They realised that they had been with Jesus, as it says in Acts 4.13. Think too about the incredibly positive impact we could have in our families if we lived in such a way that when other members of our family see us, they know that we have been with Jesus. What do these words from Ellen White have to say about influences in the home? And this is a quote from Adventist Home, page 18. The home may be plain, but it can also be a place where cheerful words are spoken and kindly deeds are done, where courtesy and love are abiding guests. And that brings us to our discussion questions for this week. There are three. The first says, read Ecclesiastes 3, 1-8. What are these verses saying, and how can you apply the principle there to your own life and experiences? Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1-8. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. And question two. In class, talk about some of the life-changing experiences that you have been through, and talk about the lessons you learned, and if applicable, the lessons you should have learned. What did you learn from the lessons that you didn't know? Also, Talk about how these life-changing experiences impacted your family. What lessons did you learn in these situations too? And three, what are the ways you live today that were it not for Christ in your life would be radically different from what they are now? What should that tell you about the power of Christ to change us? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Missionary's Joy Journal and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. The year couldn't have gone worse for Eliza Albertson, a native of Palmer, Alaska, who quit a promising career as a hairdresser to volunteer at a mission school in the Marshall Islands. Just two months into the school year, she had to be airlifted back to the United States after dislocating a kneecap while playing soccer at Ebayi Seventh-day Adventist School. After four months in the United States, Albertson was still recovering and realised that she would have to break her promise to her students to return before the end of the school year. Then she and her long-time boyfriend broke up. Disappointed and discouraged, Albertson decided to take a 40-day fast from secular music, books and movies to immerse herself in the Bible and the writings of Adventist Church co-founder Ellen G. White. It was then that she started a joy journal. I wanted to count 1,000 gifts God gave me, she said. The daily entries in the joy journal began with simple things. Albertson wrote that she was grateful for clean water and the sunlight shining through the window. As she continued to write, she remembered the words of the Apostle Paul, Rejoice always, in First Thessalonians 5, verse 16. When she discovered ants swarming over the food in her dog's bowl, she thought, This is so frustrating. I hate ants. Then she remembered the joy journal and, peering closely at the busy ants, marvelled at their perseverance, teamwork and ability to carry a load many times their size. In her joy journal she wrote, I thank God for ants. Through God we can accomplish things that are much bigger than us. Albertson also found joy in other negative circumstances – When someone criticised her, she wrote, Thank you for your critical word, because it puts me on track to improve and draw closer to you. She thanked God for her dislocated kneecap, realising he strengthened her mentally and physically through the injury. Albertson is now 21 and back at a B as a second grade teacher. She pulled out the joy journal after catching a flu, going around the island. When I lost my voice, I said, Praise God, because now I can hear my children better, she said. Part of the second quarter's 2018 Sabbath offering helped the Obey Seventh-day Adventist school carry out repairs on crumbling classrooms. Thank you for your mission offerings.